Welcome to the Hey Salespeople podcast, where we focus on delivering immediately actionable best practices for sales professionals. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan from SalesLoft. Hey, salespeople. Today, we are joined by Kyle Norton. Welcome, Kyle. Thanks for having me. And I say we because I have my trusty co-host, Sean Day Person, with me. Hey, Jeremy. Kyle is the head of revenue for Canada at Shopify. They are a commerce platform that helps independent businesses start, sell, market, and manage. So if you're selling something online, uh, they're probably out there helping you behind the scenes. We are, of course, not going to talk companies. We're going to talk something else. And the main thing we're going to talk about today is radical transparency in selling. Uh, I'm excited about that because I'm a big fan of the book Radical Candor by Kim Scott Malone, which I would assume is a little bit behind that. And we'll sort of deviate into what that means in terms of radical transparency between sellers and their prospects and customers. Before we do that, we'd love to get to know our guests. And Kyle, I'm going to ask you a question. I don't know if I've asked other guests in a long time, which is uh, for a favorite movie. And I ask that because we're we're finally back to the movies. I, I've been to see a bunch of movies lately. In the US. We're a little slower here in Canada, but uh, slowly getting there, which is exciting. Favorite movie of all time is Pulp Fiction. I've probably seen it 20, 30 times. Close second on a completely different part of the spectrum, Spaceballs, which I used to watch with my dad like every every year growing up. How do you get from all that to radical transparency in selling? But why radical transparency in selling? Is that a, a top of mind topic for you? So it's been top of mind for a few years. As I got to the point in my career where I was able to define go-to-market strategy in you know a way that I thought was resonant with what I thought was best in class and also you know how I felt like building my teams that I could really stand behind. And so it's something that I've talked about in drips and drabs over a long time and, and have really leaned into over the last couple of years. And it's largely comes from the realization you know, from my selling career when I was really entrenched in deals, seeing reps get really nervous to have the tough conversations with buyers that you know I felt like when I was able to be really open and honest, you know, I could see buying dynamics change. And so I was really asking myself the question, well, what's behind this? Why? Why are we as sellers so hesitant to lay out all the facts and be more consultative in the process? And, and I started to unwind why that is and then how I could teach people to be more transparent as a result. I sort of inherently felt like that was a powerful way to sell just from my own experience. And then when I started to teach this more broadly, I, I got to see other people have great results with a similar, more transparent approach. So what did you find as you were uh, asking reps why they weren't asking questions? Why weren't they asking questions? That's a whole separate body of stuff to work through. Right? For this particular topic, it's why weren't reps more transparent with buyers about relative strengths and weaknesses of competitors and more more thoughtful about how we position our product. So a good example, you know, let's let's use Shopify and sort of the group that I where I started in Shopify, which is our point of sale product. So we have a particular opinion on what a best-in-class point of sale needs to look like. And it's quite different than the general market. One is because we're predominantly an e-commerce company, is that a great point of sale needs to be seamlessly integrated into this broader sort of omni-channel experience. It's a cliche term, but somebody being able to buy from you online, through Instagram, on eBay, and have a similar experience and have this integrated into this broader business context so that I can go into a store 
do my online return, have my receipts pulled up on that terminal, have cross-platform loyalty. Like you go to the biggest bookstore in Canada, I can't go use an online gift card in store. It was really important for us to build a unified commerce platform. But like we were really one of the first companies to lean into this full force. We've also invested a whole bunch of product development on like growth stuff. No company has the best product on every criteria. And so we were really choiceful. It's like, we're going to invest in features that drive growth for customers. People care more about driving growth than they do about having every single little tiny report about their business. And if you need that, there's other better options. As you said that, I was also thinking when I read we support independent businesses, it tends to be smaller, right? It's very small business. If you were to sell to large enterprises for their point of sale, there might be some features and functionality that you would have to develop. If you're talking to a prospective customer, those are things you consciously don't do. For sure. One of these tenets is is to be transparent early. So rather than try to sweep all of the product deficiencies or wherever you're weak, like under the rug, and maybe I can get this person all the way to negotiation without them figuring it out. It feels sometimes like the right thing to do. You're like, oh, they haven't grilled me on reporting yet. So like, I might be okay. It's the wrong mindset because that stuff's going to come out at some point, 100%. Like those things will come out. So you might as well have that discussion early in your cycle. Save yourself because you know your deal cycles get more complex and higher effort the deeper into them you go. So let's have those difficult conversations up front. And then we can move ahead with like that on the table. And I'm not chasing a bunch of bad deals. And if you think of the job of the rep, what am I paid to do here? It's to drive profitable growth for the company. And so my job as a sales leader or a sales manager and then the sales reps is to help the right customers make the decision to choose us, drive really profitable growth. And so this is a system that better aligns there as well. That's great. I wanted to talk more about the details about radical transparency. But first, I wanted to ask, is there anything in order to get the reps to make that shift to asking deeper questions or being more transparent? Was there anything that you had to change in the way that they're measured, the KPIs, or how that you determine that they're successful as reps? We didn't change the core measurements of the business, although we paid attention to certain measures more. So, you know, when you have a rep that you, know, you really see the light bulb moment go off. Like, let's go pay attention to that person's conversion rate, time to win, time to lose, and go start to evaluate their pipeline better and use them as an example of like, hey, this is those principles in action. At an SKO, at a sales kickoff a bunch of years ago, I asked a bunch of different reps to stand up and tell me about the worst deal that they lost. And I knew their worst deals. So I, it was prompted. It's like, Blake, could you stand up and tell me about this deal? And at what point? Do you think you probably knew that that was a bad one to chase? It painted the picture of the cost of chasing bad opportunities really well for everybody around because everybody had to tell the sob story of a deal that they should have disqualified or closed out at the discovery early demo. And instead, they like shoehorned all the way through to negotiation and, and at that company, putting together a proposal was, was really, really time intensive. And so I was trying to make the point for asking hard questions about your deals. Reps are reluctant, to say the least, to kill a deal that's that's in flight, especially a healthy one. So I'm wondering, have you ever, as a sales leader, looked at a deal that was otherwise healthy, but said, hey, this is, this is going to be a nine-month churn, and they're going to be a difficult customer, and you as a sales leader went to the rep and helped them kill the deal? For sure, yeah. 
I'd love to hear how that goes and how that went and whether that rep stayed at the company. Yeah. So my, uh, my last company, we were selling largely into enterprise. They were big, really challenging deals to do and complex to serve. These were high service customers. And so myself and a bunch of the sales leaders were deeply entrenched in a bunch of the deals. Like we were pitching them, we were in the rooms, we were help building business cases. And so oftentimes we got into it and we had a checklist that we were using and we go, is this really a customer we want? And the reps didn't have much of a pushback because generally you start walking them through that process and they start to feel like, I'm probably not even going to win this anyways. There's not the change orientation. Like we were selling into HR and we were selling a more transformative approach to to managing healthcare and benefits. And unless you have a an organization with a lot of internal support and a buyer that's really engaged on going through the like change management to get to the great outcome, it was going to be tough. And and generally, if that was going to be a nightmare customer to serve, we probably weren't going to win it anyways. So we were helping the the rep figure out it's like, let's maybe not go deep on this. And so I ended up teaching people this concept called off-ramping. So our sales process, you would have a you know one or two initial discovery and like picture painting session uh, pitch. And then we would have a really deep discovery. And then we would do a more bespoke sort of demo. And the, the, you know, you're usually having like three demos and then this big detailed proposal that involved a bunch of support from around the org to do this well. And so what I introduced is this concept called off-ramping. So after the first demo, so there may be one or two discos and this like initial demo, which wasn't as custom, wasn't as hard to do. And I would say at the end of that meeting, so at this point in the process, a bunch of work is going to be needed, both from our team, like I got to pull in a bunch of people, we got to do a bunch of analysis, but I need a bunch of information from your team as well. So it's a good point for us to pause and for you to ask yourself, do I think the payoff, if this is great and it goes well, do I think that payoff is big enough where I think I can get this thing done internally? And to really evaluate what are the other pressing issues in your organization? Is this a nice to have? Do you really think you can get it over the line? Because this is the right time to say yes or no. You think it's the right time. Awesome. I'm going to give you all my resources. We're going to go really support you in making that business case. But if you don't think that it's the right time, because I'm going to have to get you to bring in your CFO and we need a bunch of data, then this is a good time to like off-ramp the conversation. And so that was a good tool to, to teach this more programmatically without having to be in all these deals and like evaluate and be like, no, let's pull that one. Because then your, your buyer is helping make that decision. But I'm far enough through the deal process where at least we've had enough of a conversation where that's an informed decision. I really like that. I feel like it's a good way to establish strong trust between you and the customer because there is this perception of salespeople that they'll do anything to get that money in, do anything to get a deal, even if it means kind of holding back from telling the truth a little bit. But, you know, and you're giving them the opportunity to decide on their own, are they going to be an advocate or are they going to politely step out of the deal? And the people who do move forward with the deal are even that much more bought in to you as a seller in your company because they're like, okay, this person is going to be straight up with me about everything, the good and the bad and the ugly. And also they've kind of sold themselves on the reasons why they should move forward with you. And now they are armed with all of the resources that they need to advocate on your behalf to anybody else who has questions about, should this be the way that we move forward? So I think that's really powerful. And it's a more nuanced upfront contract. 
when somebody does the upcount contract to me, oh, at the end of the call, you, you'll tell me yes or no. I'm like, bro, don't do that. And so I feel like the buying world has evolved to where like, it feels like a tactic is being done to me versus this is a real part of the conversation where I'm actually telling you, hey, at this point, it makes sense for us to move ahead if you feel comfortable sharing this information, giving us some time with your CFO. I am doing a version of this upfront contract, but it's just in a much more collaborative way to say, if you think that there's real legs here and you feel like it's appropriate to do this and this, then let's do it. And if not, it's probably a sign that we should just put this thing to bed. There's so much in there. I mean, I think one is the more tenure you get under your belt as a seller, the more fluid those things become, right? Early on when you're selling, the scaffolding is apparent and you want to move to the point where the scaffolding is no longer apparent and it's just it's just smooth. Uh, I also love this concept of just checkpoints, right? So you have this early checkpoint where you're saying, hey, there's going to be work here. And actually, in the next step is you do some work and you know they may bail. So it's a great way to like have them screen themselves out. The other piece, right, is as you said, it's pretty early on. You want to get them to commit to introducing you to somebody else in their organization that has you know, some degree of authority. I don't know that you need to get to the decision maker. I mean, everyone wants to get the decision maker immediately, but in a, in a large enterprise deal, you may not want to get the decision maker until you've done more background work. I, I love this. We're getting into the system that you have and off ramping, I should say, is, is a component of the system. Now, now you've got a super curious, what are some of the other components of the system? So one of the other ones I talk a lot about a lot is point of view positioning. And I talked about this, hey, we're a growth platform. If you need every report and all this stuff, here are the other things. So it's basically having a really consistent point of view about your product that you're taking to market that fits with what your product really does. And it has to be underpinned by differentiation. Like There's no such thing as a better product or a worse product, in my mind. All of that is context-dependent. Uh, on paper, worse product. So use like G2 Crowd or Magic Quadrant. Like The thing way up here might be worse if my context, my market, my infrastructure is different. So like, I'm just trying to get people away from better or worse. And folks in the sales engagement space are really guilty of this because I hear about it all the time. It's like, oh, no, no, like mine's better. That can't be true because there's no such thing as a perfect product. So just tell me what's different. So our customers choose us because they believe that this and this, they want to get this out as a result. And if your mindset is similar, we're a great choice. If, however, you believe that these are like most important for you or the market is moving, there's a bunch of different ways to frame this point of view. There's another route to go. So it seems like a really soft way to sell. It seems like you're like, oh, like, you know, maybe choose my product, maybe don't. I don't really care. And it comes off that way. And it's all in the nuance to really see like how sharp it is as a sales mechanism. Because what I'm doing is I'm thinking through. Where are my strengths and weaknesses? How do I want to position this evaluation? It's like art of war. I'm controlling the battleground where this thing takes place. So I'm saying, hey, the evaluation criteria are X, Y, and Z. And we're good on here. We're good on here. And this is where our competitors are better. So if you believe this is more important or the market's going here, it's over there. And I need to do this upfront work to be really nuanced about how I set this up. And I construct this evaluation process in my favor. That positioning happens in the in the B2B sales world as well, right? Of what you can and can't do. And it, it needs to be genuine. It can't just be the thing you don't do can't just be a throwaway. 
Yeah. And as sales leaders, this is really where sales and product marketing, this is where your investment needs to be. Asking reps to do this is, is a lot. So how can you build a brand positioning or a product positioning that then people can take and say, hey, let's use my last company. Hey, if you believe fundamentally that employer paid healthcare is broken and you're diehard that this needs to change and I believe it's the right thing for us to do and I believe healthcare can be an attraction retention tool. If you believe those things, then we should talk because we have a really interesting novel way. If that's not your biggest problem and you feel like nothing's going to change because it's such an entrenched way of doing things, then you know it's probably not the right fit. Well, one thing you mentioned earlier that I also wanted to circle back to, we'll often dive deep into like the nuances of selling into different segments, VSB or enterprise and so on. You mentioned customer references and I was just wondering, like in, in the world you live in now, because you were in the enterprise world where that's critical, in the VSB world, do you have the time and the acquisition cost structure to be able to do references? Oftentimes, references are being done with or without us. So in these mom and pop markets, you can call it, their communities are really small. So like selling to brick and mortar retail, they know who's on their street in their shopping district and they can walk up and down the street and know who's on Shopify, who's on Square and, and they're going to ask and there's big communities. There's like big Facebook groups and on the e-com side, big Discord channels. It references are happening more at scale versus these one-off, like one-to-one tailored inter- introductions that you might do in enterprise. So you're trying to curate some of that. You're trying to curate case studies and you know there's competitors that we've taken a bunch of their case studies won them. And so we're sure to use those as references. Be like, oh, you know, here's a customer you can call. You might notice them on a competitor's website. That's always a fun one. And like you just do that by email and you have them go to the website and be like, just go look at who this customer is on. And that's all the reference they really need. So you can think about them with more scale in mind. Yeah. As a warning to salespeople, sales leaders and marketing leaders, when I'm buying, and I don't think I'm that atypical, I'm atypical in some ways for sure, but when I'm buying, I look at the companies that are listed as the marquee logos on on the company I'm buying from's website. I go find the buyer, which is not too hard to do, and I call them. It is shocking how many of them are no longer customers. And so you got to get that stuff off your website because you're right, you're, these reference checks are happening whether you like it or not, and don't shoot yourself in the foot by leaving a customer who who fired you on your website. This is on a slightly alternate point, but references 1000% happen whether or not you know it because, you know, there's so many communities and Slack channels and, you know, I always go to my same group of folks to to vet technology and platforms. So that's why you got to make the customer investment. CS has to be a huge investment. You got to give great customer outcomes because it's so much easier these days that like bad product performance will completely kill you. I love the way that Shopify has um, communities and supports their communities. That's one thing that you all do really, really well. Are your sales folks part of those communities? Are they listening in? Yes. So like a good example is we had our huge uh, developer conference. So developers, customers, we make a bunch of big announcements called Unite. And so there were these really lively Discord channels to, to sort of live discuss and People were chatting up until the event. And internally, we were really clear with people. It's like, you can't have everybody jumping in here. 
And this is not a place for us to all like chime in on like, oh, I don't know about this feature. And you have five Shopify people tell this person like why they're wrong. It is a customer forum. So we try to take a pretty lightweight touch on customer communities. We want to help them exist and curate. And, you know, there's a voice of a voice of the merchant council here in Canada that we're like really active in, but that's, you know, a group that we've asked to participate with us. But when it comes to the customer ecosystems, we want to let them have their own life without muddying them with the vendor's voice. Well, if nothing else, people walked away with some some great ideas for their, you know, the system. And I, I love the you know, big pieces you talked about and that you named them, right? The POV point of view positioning, as well as the off ramping. And, you know, we talked about a lot of other concepts. We also gave people a lot of movie recommendations. And, and I know if Todd Capone, if you're listening, your ears are burning. So yes, uh, another book we did not mention, but The Transparency Sale, which, you know, echoes a lot of these concepts as well. That's a, just an awesome read. Kyle, it was, it was truly a pleasure having you on. Thanks for, thanks for being on. Thanks for having me. Hey, Salespeople is a production made in partnership with Frequency Media. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan. This podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever podcasts are found. Thanks for listening to the Hey Salespeople podcast.